I'd like for a little while this morning to return to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, as uh, I mentioned before, we're going to look uh, a little bit at uh, the, uh, the biblical qualifications for elders and deacons. It's not all that the Bible has to say, uh, but there are some important things. And uh, what I want to say, uh, what, I, what I really want to do this morning is uh, guide our thoughts towards Jesus Christ uh, in all that we do. And uh, I, don't want to, I don't want this to be seen as a kind of technical sermon where uh, we are kind of uh, thinking of and testing uh, our spiritual lives in a technical sense um, uh, or in a church order sense, uh, however significant these may be. Uh, it, is, it is simply a reminder to us of... Uh, what God's Word says about uh, His family, what He says about his, the structures that He's left us to consider and think about. Sometimes these are difficult to understand. Sometimes uh, we wonder uh, what it's about. Sometimes uh, our experiences of what church is like is very different so that we struggle with uh, uh, the whole concept or the whole idea of, of a kind of, as it were, an institution, uh, for want of a better word, uh, but what I want us to do today is, although the focus is on the particular roles and the characteristics that are uh, encouraged and the, the lives that are, are expressed in this chapter, uh, I think the reminder to us is that the characteristics are ones that are good for all of us as Christians. Because we're all asked to be Christ-like. It's not like uh, elders and deacons have a kind of uh, a, a separate set of qualifications to reach to in terms of their role. But that we should all be looking for these characteristics of Christ-likeness. And not because that will somehow earn us favor with God or make us closer to God because He will favor us because of that. Because the core of our gospel, of course, is, isn't it, that we need Jesus Christ to be made right and clean inside. We need him to take our hearts and mold them and do something absolutely miraculous to take them from being hard and stony and difficult spiritually to being soft and tender towards him. And that's his work. And so we're looking post this work. Uh, we're not saying that any of these things make us right with God, but we're looking post what Jesus has done in our lives. And it's a focus for... Uh, are thinking about what the church is about because the church is a reflection of the community that we're going to enjoy forever in heaven. So always when we talk about the church, we should be thinking forward to heaven. It should help. In fact, even when we meet, when we come to, to church, as we call it church, as we gather together, although that's not all that church is, it reflects the community of God's people which is pointing forward to heaven. So when we gather together, there should be some kind of taste of heavenly fellowship and of what the future is going to be like. Uh, because we should be worshiping Jesus. He should be King of kings and Lord of lords in our worship, not just in an outward verbal way, but in a in a spiritual way in our hearts as we come and offer the sacrifice of praise for hearts that have been, are submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So that 
the outward expression, which will be our gathering and our worship and our uh, coming under God's Word and our prayers and our singing, is all a reflection of this kingdom to which we belong and ought to be. So that that is significant for us, even when we're thinking about something, maybe what we think is a little bit more technical today, it is something that we should be reminded of today of the beauty of Jesus and the challenge of Jesus for us in our own lives. It should, I hope, encourage us to think and pray carefully about uh, the uh, nominations that uh, the Kirk Session, the elders have uh, uh, recommended and that we will pray for unity and a sense of family and a sense of belonging and a sense of togetherness. I'm only going to pick out one or two things here uh, from this chapter about the kind of characteristic roles of uh, elders and deacons within the church and then look uh, a little bit more towards the end of the chapter. So the elders are the spiritual overseers of the church. And I know you know that. Uh, they are those who are part of a team of uh, leaders that uh, have specific gifts for leadership and uh, specific qualities and characteristics who are uh, appointed and ordained uh, by the will of the people uh, but we believe through prayer also uh, ordained uh, under God to uh, be part of the structure of overseeing the church of God, Shep- under shepherds, to overseeing, but under shepherds, reflecting Jesus Christ, a kind of uh, example of what it is to be a Christ-like leader. Uh, our leadership as elders and deacons should point people, not towards ourselves, God forbid, but should point people towards uh, our great shepherd uh, and his great example of uh, being a servant, of laying down his life for the sheep, of washing the disciples' feet. And that is uh, the role of the eldership, is to have this servant-spirited leadership. Uh, We have a responsibility to love you, to pastor and care for you, to pray for you, to be involved in your spiritual training because we need spiritual training ourselves to uh, correct, rebuke, encourage in all righteousness uh, through relationships and through closeness and gentleness and trust and courage and strength, similarly to how Christ led his own disciples, but obviously recognizing our great dependence on the Spirit and on uh, His wisdom and grace. And that role is a really significant role. It doesn't make uh, leaders any more important than anyone else. Uh, it doesn't give us uh, an undue privilege with God in any, uh, any sense, but it is a significant role and involves commitment, vision, organization, strategic thinking, teamwork, spiritual dynamism, sacrifice. Because it's, as the chapter here reminds us, it's a noble task. It's a spiritual task of great nobility. And it is one uh, that God has ordained. And we hopefully recognize that. And I hope we pray for uh, each other. I can assure you that the 
spiritual leaders of the church pray for you, and I hope and believe uh, absolutely. I know that you pray for us. But please remember one thing. In James chapter 3, speaks about teachers and elders and says to them, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Please remember that. Please remember the weight of responsibility and the, weight, the seriousness, the solemnity of the task of leadership. Please don't see it as a, uh, a what's the word I'm looking for? Promotion, maybe, in the Christian life. Or a reward in the Christian life. It's far from that. It's neither of these things. It ought never to be. It's never to be based on uh, our standing uh, in the community as a respectable people or anything like that. Well, I'll explain what I mean by that uh, later on. Uh, but it is uh, a solemn responsibility. And it's a God-given one. And we will stand before God for you. For, to take account of how we shepherded you. And that is a solemn and uh, sobering in the right sense of that word, reality. Deacons also are to be spiritual leaders of the congregation. I think on the sheet that I uh, put in with uh, the nomination form, there's a nice description of the, of the difference between deacons and elders. And, and it is that elders uh, serve through leadership. And deacons lead through service. See, there's a different emphasis. As the elders... Have I got it right? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. That uh, the elders lead, you know, serve through leading. Okay, their service is that they lead the congregation. Right? That's their act of service. But deacons lead by serving. There's a different emphasis. Do you get, you all look really blank. See, what is he speaking about? Do you get it? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, there's a difference. And uh, <laughs> I'm not convinced. Uh, I know, I, I, I understand it. I thought, that's a great example. I must use that and everyone will get what the difference is. And you're all kind of looking, what planet is he from? Is it, is it the glasses that are doing that? I don't know. Anyway, so, but there's this whole idea that the diaconate is a, more of a serving role in a kind of uh, overt way, in an obvious way. They, they have a, a task biblically right from the beginning of serve, helping the elders to fulfill their role and helping with some of the practical work in the church to free up the spiritual leaders, the, the pastors and the elders, to do their spiritual work, to be praying and teaching and leading the people spiritually. They've got this great practical emphasis of putting into place uh, the grace and the care of, uh, and love uh, of uh, Christ uh, to people and being involved in that and uh, serving in, a, in, a, in an obvious leadership way uh, that shows uh, the practical love of Christ. But it's also a spiritual role. And I think sometimes we forget that. I'm not going into any detail about these roles. I think there are maybe slightly more detail in some of 
the information that has been handed out, which of course is not available to all of you. But uh, today, I just want to look at one or two things in terms of the qualifications, because there are spiritual areas that are very common to uh, the characteristics that God sets out in this chapter for uh, them. But I do say, can I say again there, we, we do, please don't switch off because you think, oh, well, I'm not going to be an elder or a deacon, uh, and this isn't for me. I think all of us are to aspire to these uh, Uh, characteristics in our uh, Christian lives is that there's this recognition that uh, uh, those who are in spiritual leadership have a mature self-control in their lives. That they uh, are strong spiritually in faith. And that comes across in in many of the different characteristics that they are to show the self-control of God's Holy Spirit. Sometimes we have this crazy idea that the Holy Spirit uh, is, uh, simply allows us to do things randomly or spontaneously. He's a spirit of self-control, and much of this is about the spirit of self-control over alcohol, over money, over temper, over our tongue. So that those who are in leadership should show that control in their lives in these areas and in other areas also, because these are important. But that's not an exclusive uh, Uh, expression of Christian faith for leadership, is it? The Bible makes clear that's a responsibility for all of us, that as we are filled with the spirit, the spirit of uh, sober judgment and of self-control and of discipline, that we all show that, that we all recognize that we have desires that need to be tamed. Come back this evening because we're on the bit, no, I shouldn't say the best of all commandments, but it's the commandment that underpins so many of the rest. It's the last one which is about coveting and desire. But I'm not going to start speaking about that because that's tonight's. But it's all about that, isn't it? About controlling by God's grace and by his strength the sins that so easily beset us and by recognizing that we are in this battle to uh, become matured in our Christian lives and to change and mold our desires so that they become like Christ. So this mature self-control is part of the the qualifications, as is a good family life. Uh, Chapter uh, 3 speaks about that in different places. He must manage his own family well, verse 4, and see his children and pay them with proper respect. And so the same goes uh, with deacons. Now, it's uh, a recognition that, that uh, uh, where that is relevant, where the deacon or elder is married and his children, that this is to be an outworking of their Christian leadership and their Christian character and their Christian responsibility. In other words, the people that the elders and deacons, the leaders of the church are closest to, that's where their Christian maturity should first be reflected. You know, sometimes the case has been that elders and deacons and leaders of the church have acted in a certain way in, the, in public and in the church and in positions of leadership, but it hasn't been reflected uh, with a life of grace and maturity and gentle and humble leadership in the home or among those closest to them. You see, the whole emphasis of this chapter is that the church of God is like a family. It's like an extension of your family. And so there's this image of being a spiritual leader uh, uh, reflecting if you, if you are a leader and a spiritual, spiritually mature and holy in your life at home, then that will be something that will be reflective of how you will be able to lead in church. Faithfulness self-control, gentleness, strength, courage as a husband, as a father, as a son, 
uh, in all of these areas. Respect, love, discipline, leadership. Does that not apply to us all? How we act at home? Where's the easiest place to not act as a Christian? When the curtains are shut, or the doors closed, or nobody else sees us? That's where we act. Because Christ's in our heart. And that's where we show the genuineness of a change. It's all against this kind of simply outward, uh, uh, formal Christian living that sometimes we are tempted by, which again we'll see tonight. Good family, good relations uh, with others. Uh, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And, and all of these things uh, that are spoken of here are spoken within the context of the church. They're encouraged to, to have an open home, to be hospitable. Now we've seen, and we've spoken a lot here, about the link between having an open home and an open heart. Because where do you see your life most clearly reflected? It's in our home, isn't it? And as we open our home to people, we're opening them into our lives in a much more personal way. And uh, there's to be this uh, sense of teamwork within the home, a supportive wife where that is possible, Um, servant spirit where shepherding is done uh, in the church in a way that is uh, respectful and Christ-centered. You see, as sinners, leaders can often abuse their position, can't they? In church or in the home or in the workplace even. And uh, we'll come to that. Uh, We can lord it over people. We cannot listen. Uh, we can be dictatorial. We, cannot sh- we can choose not to share leadership, share leadership wisdom with others in the congregation, share leadership requests and the need for guidance from others who know better, men, women, boys, girls, children, whoever in the congregation. We can think we have all the answers. We are kidding ourselves. And we're kidding God if we don't allow our leadership to be one that is learning and growing in good relationship with others where we trust one another, knowing and developing together. Good relationship with others in the church is important, as is a good reputation with outsiders. It's a very important qualification. He must have good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into uh, disgrace and into the devil's trap. Esteemed. We're in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the wider family, good reputation. I do wonder sometimes whether, uh, as a leadership team, we should take references from potential elders, employers. Do they have a good reputation? Are they known for honesty? Are they humble? Are they respectful? How do they share their faith in the public arena? How do they live? What would you say about them if we were to say that we were asking them to become leaders in the church? Do you think they've got leadership potential? Now, obviously, uh, it's, it's only going to be a pointer. But the Bible tells us that uh, uh, those who are in leadership in the church should have good reputations. 
Isn't it terrible? Now, does that just apply to leaders? I don't think so. Do we act in a way in public that is contradictory to what we believe on a Sunday or what we believe spiritually? Do we think there's no connection? Are we not to have a respect with, with those who are not Christians that we rub shoulders with every day? If, we were, if people asked for a, a reference for you and, or for me in, a, in, the, in the workplace about our Christian faith and about our standing and about our character and about our morality and about our honesty and about our greed uh, or lack of it or about our use of time or about how we speak or what, how we deal with other people, what would they say? It's all under the same umbrella, isn't it? This isn't just a, this is a hard one for the elders. It's for us all because we all come under that biblical teaching here and in other places good reputation but also a strong faith uh, they are to have a maturity and an ability uh, as we're told in this chapter uh, that they are to be able uh, to teach that they must be able to hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience they are to be mature uh, at that level have a strong faith good knowledge share it and apply it and live it in our lives. And that's elders and deacons in this church, that's what we're to do. That's our role. We're to teach, we're to share our faith, we're to encourage, we're to build up. We're to have, we've got that, we're appointed to that role. So, you know, if you go, if you go to the doctor, you go to the doctor because the doctor's qualified and you talk about health matters, don't you? Generally, you might have a little chit-chat, but you're not going to there to talk about the football or the results from yesterday or uh, how you're getting on at work. Generally speaking, you go there because you've got a malady. You've got something wrong with it. It's not a good word, malady. Something wrong. You go there and you expect the doctor to deal with that. Well, there's the same freedom that leaders have with the people and, and the people with leaders. We should be open and able to speak with one another. You shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed. The elder comes up to you and says, look, how are you getting on spiritually? What are you struggling with? What are the issues? Can I pray for anything? Uh, will you pray for me in this area? And, and have an honest and open and uh, spiritual relationship with one another that is accountable and that is genuine and that is real. These are important uh, aspects, both not only, again, for elders and deacons at one level, although it's kind of heightened, but for one another. Do you pray for one another? We always, I'm always banging on about that here. I mean, that we pray for one another, that we speak spiritually to one another. In our conversations with one another as Christians, how often do we speak about Jesus? How excited are we by Jesus? How much do we want to learn about Jesus? Not just in church, not just in the formal meetings, but in our gatherings together. How can I learn from a fellow Christian who's struggling? You don't hear sometimes. How often have we heard here when someone's given their testimony or someone shared their faith? That was so beneficial. I didn't realize other people were struggling in their Christian faith. I didn't realize that they have the same temptations as I have. I didn't realize this about Jesus would come into my life in this way. And it helps and encourages one another. We're able to do that. We're filled with the Spirit. We've got that privilege. It's not just the elders. I always, I kind of, this is slightly digression, but I always still laugh when people sometimes... Uh, and it happened occasionally in a previous church. When I would go and visit someone in the church, I think I've told you this before, and uh, it was a visit from the minister then, 
and this Christian in the church had their neighbor in. And when I came in, they said, oh, great, here's the minister. Now, Minister Derek, you go and tell them about Jesus. You're the professional. You go and do it. I said, no, you do it. You're their friend. You're the one that loves them. You're the one that knows them. It's not my professional job. I'll happily tell them about Jesus. But it's, it's all our role to do that. It's all our task to share Christ and to do. Elders and leaders have that position simply to encourage and uh, enthuse that in our lives. So we have there one or two, cav- or a very brief overview of the role of the elder and deacon. There's probably more detail, more biblical uh, uh, passages to, to go through that, you, that are referenced that you may take time to do so. But can I just, in closing, speak very briefly uh, about the nature uh, of the church as it's as given here a couple of things uh, because so often when we talk about something like this you're thinking about institution you're thinking about uh, man-made rules and regulations uh, you in your maybe in your conversation about the church you'll talk about someone else's church not not mine you'll not sense ownership with it you maybe keep it at arm's length you may have had bad experiences in church and you think church is rubbish. I just I want to climb the hills and, and worship God because that's much more pure. Church is full of sinners and, and hypocrites and, and failures. And uh, it's, it's Victorian in its structures and in everything that it does. And it's too demanding and it's uncaring and uh, it's all about control. You may have all these at different levels considerations of the church. Good experiences or bad experiences or in different experiences, and you just drift along, but it really doesn't have any part in your life because you see it as something you come to on a Sunday that within these four walls, and then you go from, and that's it. And it doesn't affect you anymore for the rest of the week. But here we've got a picture uh, of the church in, in two different ways, very, very briefly. The first is in verse 15. God's, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves. What? In God's household, which is the church of the living God. So it's the church is, is, is God's household. That's, he's the father. And it's, it's his family. And when we belong to St. Columbus here as part of the church that, you know, the, the physical church that we belong to, it, we're part of God's family. We're God's children. And our identity is belonging to Christ. Not belonging to St. Columbus, not belonging to the Free Church, not belonging to a denomination that is conservative, reformed, evangelical, however much these things have developed and are important. We belong to God's family. God is our Father. And we belong genetically by grace. We belong and we are part of His family because we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, if we indeed have. God is our Father. And we have the security and whatever bad experiences of earthly families we might have, in Christ we have a security, a learning, loving, protective environment that reaches on into eternity where we are encouraged in the already but the not yet to forgive, to be self-controlled, to learn, to grow, to understand, to be compassionate, to be intimate, to develop and mature within God's family. Can I ask you not to keep God's family here? With all your reservations of church or institution or 
denomination or whatever else you might think church is, not to stay at arm's length because of past experience or because of a misunderstanding of what church is. It's a place where, at least metaphorically, we have fallen to our knees and said, I need rescued. I'm out of your family. I'm in spiritual darkness. I'm lost eternally. And we come to faith, and we who were once not a people become a people. And we belong. With all our idiosyncrasies and stupidities and mistakes as leaders and uh, as failures and all that goes with that, we, we are hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, behind our great high priest and uh, the great over, uh, uh, overseer of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. And within that, we're just coming uh, together with his structure behind us, seeking to follow him in God. You know, in any house, there's got to be structure, isn't there? In any household. Ask any parent here. Ask any child who's grown up in a home. A home without any kind of structure, without any kind of leadership, without any kind of decision making, without any kind of care and protection. It's just anarchy, isn't it? We don't, we don't have anarchy in our homes. We might all have different ideas about how to structure family, but we all have structure within that, within relationships, within the workplace. And the, the church of God is no different, particularly as we grow. You know, there's, there's that need for a degree of order and, and structure. God's household. But it's also what's described here, finally, as the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's what the church is. The church doesn't have a right to make up its own mind about what the truth is. The truth is there. It's our foundation. You know, we're working, it's great. We don't have to come together every year and say, hey, what are we all about? What's the truth we're going to believe this year? How do we express ourselves differently? We've got the truth. We're founded on historical redemptive reality. It's both our foundation and it's the pillar that works right through this spiritual building that we are. I've said this hundreds of times here, but we stand on Castle Rock here. Strong, strong, strong granite, volcanic rock. And these pillars go all the way through, down to the hall and through the cheese shop uh, on Victoria Street and as founded on Castle Rock. And that's a good image, isn't it, at one level of the spiritual strength of Christ our Redeemer, Christ our Rock, His unchanging truth, because it's rescued and redeemed us from real need and real death and real separation from Him. And it's absolutely important It's not insignificant. It's not about institutions. It's not about just uh, keeping something going. It's this. The church of Christ has to be and recognize itself as the pillar and foundation of the truth. Uh, Recognizing that Christ is at the very center of the mystery of godliness that is the truth incarnate in him and also the truth incarnate in our lives as we uh, uh, follow him by faith and come to him for rescue. He appeared. This may be an early uh, declaration of the truth uh, for the church. He appeared in the body 
was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed, and the world was taken up in glory. It's great early creed, isn't it? It's all about Christ. Leadership is about Christ. Nominations, uh, the structures, the way we're thinking, the submission we have to one another, both as leaders and people, the prayers that we make, the unity that we share, the sacrifices that we give, the forgiveness that we offer, the gentleness with which we speak about and to one another, the sacrifice that we give in our lives, all of these things are because of Christ. Because he is worth it. He's worth belonging to his house. There's no other house that will stand. Christ is the one uh, who, in the storms of life, but more probably significantly, as we get older in the storms of death, his is the foundation, and we will be the house that will stand. So, you know, he's important. And uh, I hope that uh, we will make our decisions and move forward, not with a critical spirit, uh, not with a judgmental spirit. And I don't think you have for a moment that. Uh, but we, we're, I'm aware of it in my own heart, uh, in, in, in the church and in the life of the church generally. It's easy for us to do that. And uh, we're asked to be submissive and uh, spiritual and united and Christ-centered in our lives. And may that be uh, what we do. And again, can I just plea, make a plea to you if you, are, if you love the church, its people, if you love the congregation, if you belong to the congregation, uh, but you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, can I, can I plead with you again today uh, to recognize that it's all about him? And on that last great day, our involvement in the church uh, and the responsibility. Elders, uh, as we read in, in James, have a great responsibility. But so do people who have heard the truth, particularly if you heard it a lot, to respond to that truth and to be rescued and to recognize that Jesus Christ uh, is someone you need desperately today. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, help us to recognize who you are. Help us to be uh, those who submit to your living word. We thank you that you are a living God. This is your living word. Uh, we thank you that it is once for all being revealed to the saints. We thank you that it is unchanging in its truth. And may we uh, hold firmly to that doctrine which is passed down to us. Uh, not from a dogged or disinterested way, but in recognition that it is living truth. It is ever relevant. It is a truth that has transformed our lives. And may grace be at the very center of everything we are and everything we do. Forgive our mistakes. Please, Lord, will you forgive our mistakes as elders, as leaders, 
Sometimes our pride, sometimes our abuse of power, sometimes our stupidity, sometimes our prayerlessness, sometimes our reliance on ourselves and on our own wisdom, sometimes our lack of care and compassion, our lack of insight, our inability to learn from others, and all the things that sometimes we are guilty of and can be a temptation in positions of leadership. And help us, we pray, to follow and serve you with humility and grace, but with courage and dignity and strength and nobility. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.